All right. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys today. Uh, we are closing out this series. Like and subscribe. Uh, this series has uh, truly just been an intentionality for us to help our church get started on the right foot in 2022. I know that a lot of times we start the new year with the desire of like wanting to make some changes in our life to make uh, things in our life better, which is a great desire. Um, you know, obviously the gyms are super crowded for the first two or three weeks, and then uh, then they disappear. But the hope is that the hope is that our hope was that you would actually take to heart everything we shared this month because it was all with the intentionality of moving you towards making God a priority in your life. And so one thing we've realized is that if you don't choose what's priority in your life, someone else or something else will make you their priority in their life or their network. And so as you saw that video, like all those YouTube channels of like, subscribe this, subscribe this, subscribe this, that's kind of a really reality of life right now. Uh, I read somewhere recently that our eyes throughout a day, see 10,000 ads in one day. So as you go about your day and you pick up your phone, you answer an email, you respond to a text, you drive down the road, you'll see 10,000 ads in one day. And all those ads are asking you to be a part of what they're doing, a part of what they're doing, a part of what they're doing. The other thing is, uh, I I read the other day was, on average, an individual now is paying $273 a month for subscriptions. $273. When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. $273 a month. And so then I automatically went to like, how much am I paying? And then I'm like, oh, cable, $100. Are you kidding me? And then I'm like, all right. Well, then I'm like, Hulu Live. Why am I watching Hulu Live? Like, oh, sports are on there. Okay, okay. That's, you know, like $70. And then all of a sudden I start looking and I'm like, what in the world? What is Peacock doing on my subscriptions? And so Peacock has Yellowstone season one. So I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then I wanted to watch season two and season three. So then I had to go to Paramount Plus. And then next thing I know, I have $273 worth of subscriptions. No, I'm just so, uh, but the reality is if you don't choose what's important to your life, someone else will choose that, make that decision for you. And so we wanted like, and subscribe to be a series that was going to help you to intentionally make God a priority in your life, to intentionally put the most important thing in your life at the top of your life. Because, the re- because if we don't, or if we're not intentional about that, all of a sudden, Everyone else's priorities become our priority, and little do we know, we're not living with God as a priority in our life. And so there's a scripture that I want to read to you to help you understand what helps us to keep God priority in our life. Others, the local church, where you're at today, coming on Sunday. This is a huge step and the biggest step to making God a priority in your life, because through this step, comes community, comes a helping hand, comes a voice that speaks into your life, comes a church that wants to come around around you to make sure you're not doing life alone. And so there's a scripture that I want to read to you, and it says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, you obey the law of Christ when you offer each other a helping hand. You obey the law of Christ when you offer each other a helping hand. So one thing we know for sure is that life was not created for you to be alone. Your individual life was not created for you to live life alone. God created your life so that you can get the most out of life. And the way you can get the most out of life is by making God priority and doing life as a community together. And so a question I I have for you today is this. What normally gets in the way of God's plan for your life? What normally gets in the way of God's plan 
for your life. And I have, convers- I have the privilege of having conversations with people from all of our different campuses. And I get this question asked to me often, and they often say, like, you know, Pastor Moses, like, what, what is it that's getting in the way of God's plan for my life? And they're trying to, like, help me navigate their life and their journey. And I just say, you know what? One of the things that I often notice in people is that when we play the if-only game, that often gets in the way of our life. And they look at me, and they're like, what's the if-only game? I'm like, you know the if-only game. Like, you've played the if-only game, and I've played the if-only game. We've all played the if-only game. And then you're all looking at me like, wait, when's the last time we played the if-only game? And I'm like, well, we played on a regular basis. And what the if-only game is, it's the silent decisions that you make without, verbally, without, without verbalizing them. It's the decisions you make without even realizing you're making these decisions. And here's how it works. If I only had the career that I wanted, I would make God a priority in my life. If I only made the money that I wanted, then Sunday would be a priority in my life. If I only, if I only had the wife that I wanted, then God would be important in my life. And then some of the ladies are out there. If I only had a husband that could guide and direct me, then God would be a priority in my life. And then the ladies out there with the husbands are like, if I only had a husband with a job, then God would be a priority in my life, right? But at the end of the day, we don't realize the silent decisions we make on a daily basis that doesn't keep God as a priority in our life. And if we don't intentionally put God as a priority in our life, we will soon find ourselves making someone else's priority that becomes our priority. And so there's a phrase that I want you to hold on to, and I really want this to be kind of the foundation of today's message, and the phrase is this, Faith must be personal, but can't be private. Certain aspects can only be accessed in communities. Faith must be personal, but can't be private. Certain aspects can only be accessed in communities. So let me break this down a little bit. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. If you're taking pictures, you're going to want to take a picture of this. Uh, Faith is personal. What does that mean? That means you personally have to make the decision to have God in your life. As much as I would love to make those decisions for you, especially Cohen, as much as I might love to make decisions for Cohen, I would, I, I would love to. But he's got to make his own decisions. you got to make your own decisions. That's the reason why we don't baptize infants at South Hills. Because the person needs to be the one to say, God is important in my life. I'm ready to take the next steps. So faith must be personal. It has to be a personal choice. But what God says is the way to get the most out of your faith, the way to get the deepest, most greatest perspective from your faith is by having others alongside of you that are walking in that same direction. For example, like I have kids, I have three of them, um, as I've shared many stories about them, they drive me absolutely crazy, but it's one of those crazy relationships where I just love them to death, they drive me crazy and I love them more and they drive me crazy and I love them more, and then they, they, they somehow weasel things from me without even knowing those silent decisions, obviously I talked about, but they, they love sports, I love sports, and one of the sports that they love is baseball, and so they talk me into buying them stuff for baseball all the time, like, oh dad, this is going to make me play better, and it's going to make my swing better, and blah, 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 right, I'm like, yeah, right, and so I, and so at at the end of the day, like at some point, they talk me into it. So they they love 
the, the sunglasses for baseball. So they say, oh, Dad, I need some sunglasses that, you know, when we play morning games and the sun is, like, coming up, that sun is, like, really strong, and we got to figure out how to break through that sun, those sun rays. And so they, they talk me into buying, like, these glasses that are made for early sunrise games, right? And they're like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds cool. Like, all right. So then I get them these sunglasses that are for early sunrise games. And then after they get those, guess what happens? We play mid-games, and the sun's at top. And so now the sun is coming from a different angle. And uh, there's, separate, there's, dip, there's individual lenses for that. And so then they talk me into buying lenses for when the sun's above and the rays are coming from a different angle, right? I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds kind of like another expensive idea. And then all of a sudden, it's like the sun's got to go down at some point, And they play games at nighttime. And so when the sun is going down, they got to have sun, like sunglasses that are made for the, the sunset time. And I don't know if they're romantic glasses. I don't know what they do. But at the end of the day, there's a glasses that ideally that are made for like sunsets. And then there's like when the sun is not out, but yet we know the sun is there. And uh, we need to look good just because we just want glasses to look good, right? So then there's, there's just those glasses, right? So they talk me into this stuff. And because they're my kids, they, they, they always win. And so uh, at some point, they, have, they, they show me that every lens has a different, different angle, a different perspective, a different purpose. And as I look into God's word, I often see the same thing. That if this is my lens of God, I'm only going to see God through one angle. My story, my experience, my faith, my relationship, my view of his scripture. It's going to be limited because I'm only looking at it through one lens. But if I allow others into my life that have the same goal and the same mindset to grow and have God as a priority in my life, then I get to benefit from their lens and their perspective. And then if I allow someone else, I get to benefit from their view and their perspective. And so what God says is if you allow others to come alongside of you and walk towards a relationship with him, you're going to get the greatest perspective of God. Because you're going to see God from more than just one angle. You're going to see God through mul from multiple angles and multiple people and multiple lenses, which is going to make your relationship with God deeper, which is going to help you stay on track and go further. It's going to expand your view and your limitations of what just one lens can do. And so there's a story in the Bible that I want to read to you. And this really kind of helps paint the picture of how others really bring us back into alignment and keep God as a priority. And this story is found in the book of Kings. It's about three kings who thought they had it all figured out. And I know these are just stories in the Bible. We would never be walking around thinking we all figured it out, right? It's just them. It's just them. The, guy, the, the guilty giggle over here. It's, and so it's just them. It's just, and so they thought they had it all figured out. They thought, you know what? We're wise. We're educated. We have power, we have soldiers, we have resources, like things are going well. Our bills are being paid, there's food on the table, nothing's being broken down. Life is going well. They originally became kings with the intention of leading God's people, and then somehow, some way, just started leading people and then kind of eliminated God through the process. So they came together and they were having a problem in their kingdom. And there was a pagan God and a pagan king who was trying to cause problems and was trying to take over. And so they decided, you know what? Let's come together and let's take out the Moabites. 
They're causing problems for us. They're, they're, they're wanting to take us over. Why don't we join forces and take them out? Sounds like a good idea, right? Three against one, no-brainer. Until it wasn't a no-brainer. So then they move forward with their plan, and they go in to attack the Moabites. And the plan did not work. They found themselves in trouble, wandering in the desert, trying to figure out how to solve this problem that they got themselves into, and not realizing that they were not able to get themselves out of this problem. So day one, they didn't quite panic because it was just day one. But then day two, they were starting to panic because they were still facing the problem, and they were starting to run out of resources, and they were starting to get a little worried about their cattle and their men and their soldiers. And then day three, they're facing the problem again. They can't figure out how to get out of this. Day four, day five, they're starting to panic. Like our water resources are down. We're out in the desert. We're wandering around. I don't see any clouds. I don't see a well. I don't see streams. I don't see lakes. We're having some issues here. Day six. Day seven, they finally break down. And they're like, we're going to die. There is no way out of this. Our human efforts and our human power and our human wisdom and our resources are not going to help us out of this situation. So then what they do at that moment is what many of us do at that moment. They remember God. It's like they used all of their human effort. Their human effort couldn't get them through that problem. So they remember someone greater than human effort, supernatural, spiritual God power. And so before I read you this story, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look at this message today through the lens of your greatest need. We all have needs in our life. Some of us have one. Some of us have two. Some of us have ten. Choose your greatest need. The greatest need that is happening in your life today. I want you to look at this message through the lens of your greatest need. And as you do that, I'm going to read you this story. And the story is found in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 and 12. It says, So the king of Israel, Judah and Edom, sent out together. They wandered around on the road for seven days and finally ran out of water for the men and animals they had with them. The king of Israel said, Oh no, certainly the Lord has summoned these three kings so that he can hand them over to the, to the king of Moab. Then Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that might seek the Lord's direction. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elijah, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's servant. And then Jehoshaphat said, yes, he receives the Lord's messages. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to visit him. So here's what's happening. The three kings, obviously, as you know, they put their master plan together and their master plan failed. They find themselves wandering in the desert. They run out of resources. They're out of water. They're going to die. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, God. One guy thinks God can help us. I, I know that there's a God who can help us. And because they're in a group of community, well, the other person says, yeah, I remember a prophet who was in a similar situation and God used him to create a miracle to get him out of the situation. And then the other person says, yes, his name is Elijah. We should go to him. He's God's messenger. He's in communication with God. He's in communion with God. He has conversations with God. He talks to God. God talks to him. Let's go to him. So this is what's happening, 
right? So then they go to the prophet Elijah. And the prophet Elijah, who was mentored by Elijah, Elijah was a, one of the most sarcastic prophets in the Bible. And uh, he had an interesting approach of communicating God's word. But at the end of the day, we're not judgmental church. It's, that's how he chose to do it. That's how he chose to do it. And so they go to him, and in, and, and, and in verse uh, 13 it says, Elijah said to the king of Israel, why are you here? So the kings come to him and say, hey, we need help. And Elijah says, why are you here? You've been operating without God for several years now. You thought you had it all together. When all your bills were being paid and you had water and you had food, you didn't remember God then. Why are you here now? And then he goes a little further with sarcasm. Once again, not necessarily the best my approach, but it is his approach. And it says, go to your father's prophets. Go to your mother's prophets. And then the king are like, the king is like, please have mercy. Like, we need help. We're going to die out here. And it says, the king of Israel replied to him, no, for the Lord is the one who summoned these three kings so that he can hand them over to Moab. Then Elijah said, okay, as certainly as the Lord of heavens and armies lives, whom I serve, if I, if I did not respect King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I would not pay attention to you. So he's saying, if I didn't have respect for one of you, I'd tell you all to go find your mom and your dad and your their prophets and figure out another way. But because somehow, some way, I found mercy deep, deep down in my heart, found mercy, and I have respect for, for King uh, Jehoshaphat of Judah, um, I will acknowledge you and I will help you. Right? So here's what's happening. The prophet is going to go and speak to God on behalf of the need of these three kings. And remember when I said, I want you to look at this message through the eyes of your greatest need? Here's why. Because when you can use the greatest need in your life to drive you to depend on God, the greatest need in your life can be your greatest blessing as long as it drives you to depend on God. One more time. Your greatest need can become your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. These kings were going to die. They had a huge need, which was life or death. And they allowed that need in their life to drive them to God, to hear God's voice, to hear God's words, to bring God back into their life. And this need became their greatest blessing because it drove them back to depend on God. Now, what's interesting here is before the prophet went to go talk to God on their behalf, this is what he does. He says this, but now get me a musician. When the musician played, the Lord energized him. What does that mean? The prophet said, before I go talk to God, I need to get my heart right. I need, I need to block out the distractions and the noise and the frustration that I have because you've been gone for so many years and all of a sudden you remember God. So my heart's a little stirred and I want to help you, but I don't feel quite connected quite yet. So I need to purify the ugliness in my mind. I need to purify the ugliness in my heart. And the way I know how to do that is to worship. So he tells them, go get a musician because I'm going to worship first. I'm going to purify my heart before I can connect and listen to God's voice. Now, if you've always wondered, if you've ever wondered why we actually do songs before we share God's word, that's why. Because when you come in and you start singing and you start engaging and you start worshiping and you allow the worship team to lead you into God's presence, what they're doing, whether you know this or not, what they're doing is they're, they're eliminating all the distractions in your life. They're blocking out all the noise in your life. They're allowing you to... Go, get, go to the place 
of your greatest connection, of your greatest source of energy, and connect to God. So that when you hear God's message, you have no distractions to block you from God's message. And so that's exactly what the prophet here is doing. He's helping them to understand I'm not going to go to God and hear from God until I purify my heart and I get my heart right. There's a leader in the early 1900s that was a, a he was an author. He was a, he was a professor of a college. He was uh, really used to help people understand the need of worship and what it does to your heart and your mind. And he had a very powerful quote that I want to read to you. And his name was William Temple. And he was like, like I said, early 1900s, died around 1944. But he had this powerful, powerful statement. And he said this about worship. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge, and I love the word purge, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart of the love of God, to devote the will and the purpose of God. So he's saying when you engage into worship, your mind and your heart cleanse itself from all the ugliness that we walk in with from a week and a, of, dis, of, of, of pain, of hurt, of needs, of distractions, of, of, of the things that happen in our life that are constantly derailing us and pulling our attention, that we, we walk in and we dive into worship, it purifies our heart and our mind in a way that allows God to connect us, connect to us and talk to us in a way that we wouldn't unless we allowed worship to be a part of it. So then the prophet does this, right? And then he actually goes and he talks to God and he hears from God and he comes back and he shares the message. Are you ready for this? Now remember, three kings, soldiers, animals, wandering in the desert, how many days? Seven, somebody's paying attention. Excellent job. Not the 49ers guy, was it? Ah, 49ers. 49ers. All right. All right. You're in. You're back in. All right. So seven days, seven days. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're exhausted. They need a miracle. And this is the message that the prophet gives them. And he said, this is what the Lord has said. Make many cisterns in this valley. Now you're the Kings and you're tired, hungry. You need a miracle. And the prophet has just told you, God has spoken to me. Go dig ditches. The kings were like, what? Go dig ditches? We are exhausted. We are beyond the need of, of more manual labor. We need a miracle. And the prophet said, yeah, God is going to provide the miracle in your life. Go dig Ditches, and not just a ditch, ditches. And so what God was ultimately saying here is he saying, I could provide the water that you need in your life, but you need to dig the ditch to retain the water that you want for your life. I can provide the water, but you have to provide the ditch. And so a, a deeper message behind this is this. A lot of times we view a problem as a problem, and we sit with the problem for merely just the pain of it. And God is saying, yes, problems do provide pain, but if you allow someone or others, or allow it, if you allow a problem to be an opportunity, it could be the greatest joy of your life. It could, it could bring out the greatest need in your life, can be the greatest blessing in your life. When you allow the problem 
to be a place where you can view it from a different angle. So James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. So what James is saying is when you fall into all kinds of problems, consider it a joy. And I know that sounds confusing, like how can I be joyful about problems? And, he's, and this is why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect effect. There's an effect that happens in your heart and in your mind when endurance takes place. So that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. And so if I wanted to break that phrase and that scripture into words that you would understand, the words would be this. God is saying, I will show you my faithfulness if you show me your faith. I will provide the water you need in your life if you go dig the ditch. I will come through with the need that's eating away at you if you go first. Now, this is a powerful, powerful statement because a lot of times we want God to show us our miracles and we're not willing to go first. And this is exactly what God is saying is, I will provide the needs in your life but you need to go first. I will show you my faithfulness if you show me your faith. And God did this all through the Bible. There's a, 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 a verse uh, in Matthew chapter 14 that ultimately um, Peter was, was out in a boat and he saw Jesus walking on water towards him. And then Peter looks and he's like, Jesus, is that you? And he says, yeah, it is. He's like, well, if it's you, ask, ask me to come to you. So Jesus says, yeah, come to me. So then Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water. And he showed God his faith, and God showed him his faithfulness. Peter was the only one to walk on water other than Jesus because he showed God his faith. And there was another example, I believe it was in John chapter 9. There's a man who was born blind, and for 38 years he was blind. And Jesus comes into town, and he sees a blind man, and he says, do you not want to see? And he says, yeah, of course I want to see. He's all, well, let me help you. So he spits on the ground, <laughs> makes mud, he rubs it on his eyes. And he says, now go wash your face. Now, if you think about this, you're sitting there like, well, this, for one, this is kind of gross, definitely pre-COVID, all right? Says, this is kind of gross. And two, it's like, I've been blind for 38 years, and this is going to be the miracle that ultimately allows me to see. But because he knew who Jesus was and he knew God's faithfulness, he showed God his faith, got up, washed his face, and he was able to see. People ask me all the time, like, Pastor Moses, can you give me some advice for my kids? I need help. I'm like, yeah, you and I both. And, I, and they say, well, what do you think? How do I get them to follow God? And I said, well, we're, I'm still working on this, but here's what I know. If I want my kids to follow God, I need to take them to South Hills Kids. They need to be in the environment where someone's going to be speaking into their life and unpacking God's word and digging into God's scripture and speaking into their heart. If I want to give them that opportunity to follow God, I need to show, show the faith so that God can show faithfulness. Other people ask me all the time about finances, and they ask me about how God can bless more of their finances. And this is always my number one question, regardless of who they are, regardless of which church they go to. I always say, if you want to see God's faithfulness in your finances, you got to dig that ditch first. And I always ask them, tithe into step number one. Tithe is step number one to all of God's blessings and faithfulness. And whenever someone, having, uh, whenever someone asks me about uh, having troubles with relationships or with brothers or sisters or moms or dads, I always say to them, it all starts with one healthy conversation. 
one healthy conversation. When people would realize that God is a God of real big faith, but the steps for us to move towards that big faith is small steps, we will see God's faithfulness and greatness when we take the steps of faith in small steps. I dream of the day that one day that we would have a church that would believe in God's faithfulness. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Have you ever met someone who's lost 50 pounds? How did they lose 50 pounds? One pound at a time. Have you ever met someone who's read the entire Bible from beginning to end? How did they read the entire Bible from, one, from beginning to end? One verse at a time. People ask me all the time, Pastor Moses, how did you grow South Hills Church to be 12 campuses? One campus at a time. And number 13 and 14 are right behind it. Dream big. Believe big. Understand that you serve a God who can be faithful and will love to show you his faithfulness. He would love to show you how your greatest need can be your greatest blessing as long as that need drives you to depend on God. And if you are willing to dig the ditch, God is waiting and just waiting to show you the water that will come into your heart and into your mind and into your life and into your family and into your careers and into your finances. But we have to be willing to go first. We have to be willing to dig the ditch, take the small steps of one shovel at a time to allow God's faithfulness to come through when we show him our faith. If you could please bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the inspiration through God's scriptures, through your scriptures, through your stories that have allowed us to see people's faith from the past be used in great ways. God, I pray that that would be our story, that the greatest need in our life would be the greatest blessing when we step forth and show you our faith so you can show us your faithfulness. God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I ask you, give us the faith that we need to dig the ditches in our life so that the blessings of rain that we are waiting for can be ready. We can be ready to receive it. We love you. We thank you for your word. We say these things in your name. Amen.